1: Hello and welcome to Nick Cluck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Friday, it's the 23rd of July, a day out from the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth stakes. We'll be building up to that, talking to trainer Stuart Williams, who has two runners on the day, uh, one filly in the Princess Margaret, also has a, a runner in the Big Field. Tricky to solve international stakes, the handicap on the card. We'll also be talking to Thoroughbred Racing commentaries, James Willoughby, specifically about the six in the, the King George itself and their positions in the World Thoroughbred Rankings. Also joining us is Jamie Hart from the Tote, talking about another world pool day at Ascot tomorrow. But we start with talk about British stewarding. And that off the back of a couple of incidents within an hour of of each other at Newmarket and Newbury last Saturday. Another couple yesterday. One involved Joanna Mason. She'll be joining me. Caught up with her on her drive home, actually, back to York yesterday. Off the back of coming off second best in that stewards inquiry. Dave Yates, newsboy of the Daily Mirror. First question I want to put to you is, does British stewarding lack consistency?
0: I think if you've watched racing over the last week in Britain, Tom, you would draw the conclusion that it does lack consistency. Um, We've had, well, certainly four races, two of them on Saturday afternoon and two of them yesterday, where I think if you saw the the first sequence of events, you, you would have drawn the conclusion that... In the second sequence of events, the officials would follow a similar uh, course of action and ultimately reach the same decision. And yet that didn't happen. So it's, this happens in in lots of sports, lots of areas of life where, you know, you get a rash of cases of the certain, uh, of the same thing at the same time, and it comes under the spotlight. And in that sense, it's a, it's, it's a, an unfortunate circumstance in the sense that last Saturday the races were at 1.15 and 2.15 and yesterday they were at 2 o'clock and 3.20. Just to canter through them quickly, uh, Trape Power hung across the track at Newbury, Beat home city and they turned the placings around then an hour later at Newbury a very similar thing happened with Devil's Angel and the other side but the placings were allowed to stand yesterday the two o'clock at Yarmouth uh, G'day hung across the track and and beat Molly Shaw uh, who was actually the the newsboy selection so I was quite pleased the officials did intervene uh, to give the three to one shot the spoils and then in the 3.20 at Sandown Mr Tyrrell beat Old news by a shorthead, but the placings were allowed to stand. So yeah, I think in a, to give a rather uh, circuitous and long-winded answer to your question, certainly the last seven days, if you believe that there is a lack of consistency in stewarding in British racing, I, I think that what you've seen will only serve to reinforce that view.
1: How do we avoid that then, Dave? How do we get to greater consistency? Is it by having a centralised steward system. I mean, is that something you could ever foresee in racing?
0: It certainly is. I mean, it happens in other countries, doesn't it? Um, in order that, that to use that old quote from the, the legal profession about, this, this is about confidence in the stewarding, isn't it? It's about justice not only being done, but manifestly and undoubtedly being seen to be done. And so the the, the best way of doing that, and, and obviously we've had this, this has been on the table for many years now, Is a central stewarding panel uh, of uh pretty much the the same people on duty during a day obviously they're not going to work seven days a week in british racing but you've got a a a team of of people who do the stewarding and they operate from one room probably with all the tvs and all the stuff that you would get in the stewards room uh, on the race course you would uh, as we've done for the last 16 17 months you would communicate with the jockeys either on the phone or more likely uh, using uh zoom technology or something like that so that you can see the faces and see whether you think they're lying or not um and um and make your decision that way and it seems you know if if the end game i think is is as near to 100% consistency as we can get then i i think that ultimately will be the logical way to go of course it it, it removes the uh part of the uh the 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 tapestry of of British racing with the stewards and the stewards room on course and all that sort of stuff. But if you're looking for ultimate ultimately for consistency, then I think that's the way that that, that, that is the most likely way in that, that, that that's going to be achieved. And let's face it for all that one talks about, you know, the, 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 tapestry of british racing what we really want is a fair result that's what you want in every sport and whether this be in football and obviously we've had stuff with var over the last couple of years which has has certainly damaged lots of people's enjoyment of football um that all we want all, all any sport fan wants really is a consistent application of the rules and that's probably the the most likely way in which we would achieve it
1: And you touched on something there, Dave, which also annoys me when it comes to stewards inquiries. Now, yes, I've never race ridden, so I don't know the importance of a jockey going into the stewards room to make their case. But why do we need to hear from the rider when it's plainly obvious what the rider is going to say? You don't have an incident in football where there's a, a dubious penalty and they'll interview the attacker and the defender. Because we know what the attacker and we know what the defender is going to say. We knew yesterday what Liam Brown and what Joanna Mason were going to say in the stewards' room. Surely, because they're going to argue their case, and then it comes down to who is the more experienced, not just race riding wise, but in the stewards' inquiry, who is the, the 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 better talker, the better salesperson of the two, and also does the the steward? Surely, there's a, a certain amount of subconscious partiality which the, the steward may have with an individual rider as well, which they can't really account for. Uh, personally, I feel that should just be stripped out of it completely. What's your view
0: on that? I think that's an extremely good and, and interesting point. As, as you say, the, the attacker is not going to say to the referee, no, he didn't catch me. Um, that 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 is self evident. Um, you're absolutely right in that. Obviously, that you know, we, we we often touch on this, don't we? That if there is a particularly uh, strong personality or a, an eloquent talker, and you know, obviously, Frankie de Dittorio, I suppose, is the first name that that springs to mind in uh, in in the modern age. Um, that 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 I think the I think the the um, the the word they use in in the law is is warm isn 't it that 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 um that the um, the, the case that 's being tried is not tried solely on the evidence because the court is warm because of um the fact that you know there are better witnesses and better talkers. I, I think I think I've got that right. And apologies if I haven't. It's it's some it's some uh, years since I uh, completed a pretty shabby law degree. Um, but I suppose one might answer to that, Tom. That would we not use uh, w- would we not use as a template the the, the courts in Britain, the, the the civil and the criminal law, in which case we do have advocates for one side or the other and we do have witnesses that will say this happened now i know obviously you know in a in a court of law we're, we're not looking at often at, at recordings uh, from every angle like we do in a horse race but you still have input from different parties as to as to what weight should be given to certain bits of evidence and that's been replicated hasn't it essentially uh, in horse racing but I, I, I think perhaps the the crucial difference is that the the, the evidence is already there for uh, stewards to see. You know, you you only have to go into a steward's room to see all the all the angles uh, that they've got to watch a horse race from, or or the incident from these days. And so maybe that's a very good point that that again one moves away from a stewarding. Uh, a, a, a stewards room on the racecourse. that it goes to a central stewards panel uh in one place that employs the same group of people that apply their take on the principles whether it's at Yarmouth Sandown Newmarket or Newbury and we we say to the 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 participants we say to the jockeys we don't really need to hear from you because we've got it from every angle and we'll let you know our decision
1: well, Joanne Mason was second on Old News to Liam Brown's Mr Tyrrell at Sandown yesterday, and I spoke to Jo on her way home, uh, unsurprisingly frustrated on that long drive back to Yorkshire. Yeah,
2: very frustrated, and obviously it's um, making the journey home even longer. Um, obviously we were in a, we in a steward's inquiry with the finish on Old News. Um, I was taken across the track um, and I was intimidated the whole way from the half furlong pole to the finishing line and, and I felt it cost me the race really. Um, we were we were beating a short head and I, I think it's a very short head really um, and I think we were very unlucky not to, not to win it in the stewards room uh, and I thought I'd have been quite confident really going in that we would have done considering I feel like we'd lost five horses length that I was taken across the track. To the finishing line, um, and obviously, you can tell from that finish, he's still used his stick in his left hand. He's not once tried to correct that, or tried to balance it, or tried to straighten up, and he's continued to hit the horse into the finishing line and continue to take me over. So, you know, I think we were a bit unlucky
1: for it not to be turned around and do you feel in in that moment between the two of you do do you feel you actually have an influence in that moment putting your case to the stewards Uh, look
2: it's a hard one Um, obviously the stewards can see what's happened um, and I suppose they they just want your opinion To they they can see what's happened but you can feel what's happened Mm. if that makes sense Um, so you can tell if a horse was hanging but you can say, look, at this point i put my stick down and I've tried to inc- like influence it and stop riding and try to balance it. So, you know, I think they're maybe just trying to get your opinion from what you're feeling to what you did and then they probably co co-correlate with that, with what they can see.
1: Um, uh, taking the, you know, not being specific to old news here, but let's say you are riding a horse who isn't the most straightforward – and 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 you don't win the race, and you are going. You should. Do you think something like that, specific to the individual horse, should be taken into account or not? Uh,
2: look, it's a hard one. Um, can you? Would you just say your horse is a bit dodgy, and actually, what do you know? What I mean, mm. it, it's your opinion on on what the horse is like, as such, to what the stewards. Um, can take into account so I mean you can express it but it's what they take from it and it's a bit like old oh, news really okay, he's got blinkers on and he's probably one of those that doesn't like being crowded that's the reason why I went off and five wide off that rail there yes for better ground because obviously it was quite used ground but that was my intention to come wider, to not be intimidated and he's constantly been intimidated from half a on long down so you know him he he's one of those he's probably only just doing enough so yes I, I did feel the horse was coming to me but I, I felt like i was always doing enough to keep him at bay
1: well look i'm i'm i'm, I'm sorry you're frustrated and, and i'm i can only imagine that the fact that you've gone there for for one down to santa makes <laughs> makes it all the worse and it is a long drive back but we can reflect on on what's been a really good season or season a bit since you since you went pro no regrets i take it joe
2: yeah no regrets at all obviously i turned um Turned well, I, I say apprentice, not really apprentice because I think I'm too old for that, really. So, <laughs> what's it? Claiming professional, um, kind of October time, um, and it was probably because of COVID, really, that it uh, that it forced my decision, um, and the help of Serena Brotherton, really. And she said, I think, I think you'd be stupid if you didn't, Joanna. With we've, we've been able to, um, ride in apprentice races now that you can claim, so whether you're a professional claim or an apprentice, you can still ride in apprentice races, and um just that amateurs weren't allowed to ride and and that's all I've wanted to do really I mean hindsight's a wonderful thing and I probably should have done it years ago but look I I wouldn't have the opportunities to ride abroad and and do what I've done so look I've come into riding professionally with quite a bit of experience with me and you know it's I think that's definitely helped my situation and
1: kind of me going forward, really. And you've enjoyed success at the, the the go racing in Yorkshire Summer Festival. I know you're heading back up to Yorkshire now. Hey, it's a it's it's great to to have it back with crowds, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it's brilliant. Um, look, it's it's um, promoting racing in Yorkshire, and we've got some amazing race tracks uh, which we've been able to promote. Um, and you know, thank you to Sky Bet um, and Go Racing Yorkshire for um, pointing that out and yeah, um, I was very lucky to ride my first treble on the first day of the of the festival, so you know that's that's been brilliant and obviously been leading jockey up there. But I've been down south the last two days, mm. and I actually had a winner yesterday at Bath, so it's a shame, shame my winners do not count down here. But look, yeah, heading back up up north now to for a ride tomorrow at York for Archie, so you know hopefully he's got a good chance, and we can you know keep keep on the leaderboard but look there's some amazing jockeys up north and you know I'm just lucky to even to be riding winners so um yeah I
1: know I'm loving it right turning our attention to King George Day tomorrow at Ascot we'll start off by hearing from Stuart Williams who has two runners on the day Lord Rapscallion in the International Handicap and Desert Dreamer runs in the Princess Margaret I started by asking him what he'd made of her last two runs at Newmarket
3: well, I think she was a little bit unlucky in the uh, Empress Stakes. she didn't get a clean run through um, and didn't get beat very far, so we felt a little bit aggrieved that day. Um, last time we were on the other side of the track to Sandrine, um, obviously Sandrine looks very good and she was a clear-cut winner, um, but I, I would have liked to have been on the same side as her, would um maybe got a bit closer to her.
1: Mm. Is it fair to say she settled down a bit, certainly in comparison to that, that second start where she was pretty free early? She won very well, mind.
3: Yeah, I, I think mainly it's because those two races, the first two races, obviously she was a bit babyish, but uh, they were run at a very slow pace early on. Mm. Whereas as we've stepped her up in grade, they're obviously going a faster pace right from the start and uh, that seemed to have suited her and she's just dropped ahead and settled nicely.
1: Did you always feel she was in before she ran? Did you you know you had a a good one on your hands
3: well we she'd been working well we didn't have that many two-year-olds at the start of the year we only had about six in training and there was only two of them in work so it's it's not always easy to get a line but she'd been she'd been working with a couple of our older sprinters and working well so we knew she was quite good but when i run in the the first race at newmarket and i turned up in the paddock all the trainers were there and they all said we like this one, we like this one, we like this one. Mm. And you kind of get a little bit cold feet then. You think, well, it's all these trainers like Andrew Balling and William Haggis and um, James Tate, and they've got a lot more horses than I've got. And they're saying they like them. Um, but she won that nicely. And they were right. That race turned out to be a really yeah. warm race. There's been about nine winners come out of the race. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's proven to be a decent race.
1: Yeah. Now you know what it's like whereas a as a... As a journalist or presenter, you go to Newmarket in the springtime and you come out with about 52-year-olds to keep on side. <laughs> there yeah, you know. that's right. So that's there right. you yeah. are. Yeah. Um, so are, will you be concerned if, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with conditions, with the, the rain that could be about? What would you like to happen ideally?
3: Oh, listen, given good ground on every occasion, I'd take it. Hmm. You know, so I... You know I, I I think she's fine um, on anything that isn't extreme. I don't think she's really ground dependent. Um, so I wouldn't want it rock hard and I wouldn't want it heavy, but anything in between, I'm sure she'll be fine.
1: And what are your feelings going back to Ascot?
3: Yeah, I'm not, I'd listen to Queen Mary's a very, very strange race um, with the draw bias on the track on the day. And the American horse is going off so fast. Mm. I just think it was, um, she just got a little bit out of her ground and a little bit out of her comfort zone early on and didn't finish off her race in the usual style.
1: Right, Lord Rapscallion, uh, draw-wise, first of all, high. you happy enough there?
3: Yeah, I think so, yeah. What we've seen this year at Ascot, I'm happy to be where we are. Um, He's an uncomplicated horse. He doesn't have to make the running. But uh, there wasn't a lot of pace on it, Newmarket and the Bunbury Cup, so we ended up in front. But, um, you know, a lot of it will depend on um, Muta and if he can reproduce his Bunbury Cup run. I think probably the rest of us are playing (laughs) for the second fiddle.
1: Mm. you, You know, I suppose the nature of the track is slightly different, I suppose. Does that change the way you approach the race?
3: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, and um, as I say, that he did win the Bunbury Cup well last year and didn't really go on from that on other tracks, so mm. it's, it's possible he he is a new market specialist. Um, but he was mighty impressive that day.
1: Same question, conditions wise, happy enough if it if it stays pretty quick.
3: Yeah, he's he's got form on all sorts of um, all sorts of ground, so yeah, I'm not worried about him but condition wise. He's very very versatile.
1: Has he surprised you at all this year?
3: Um, Well, he's doing what we hoped he'd do when I bought him. He wasn't running very well on the all-weather through the winter, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, that obviously changed as soon as we switched to the turf. He looked like a different horse, and um, we'll probably give the um, winter season a miss with him
1: this year. Stuart, wish you best of luck with both of them. No problem. Thanks very much. Good to hear from Stuart Williams, as ever. He's got a very nice two-year-old on his hands in the form of Desert Dreamer. Dave, with regard to tomorrow, what I'm most interested in from you is who is going to win the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth
0: Stakes? Right, well, I'm, I'm pretty unoriginal, I'm afraid, Tom. I, I've gone for love in tomorrow's Daily Mirror. I hope I've not given away too many trade secrets. Um, I, think that, I, I think she's outstanding. I, I know that uh, not everybody was blown away by the Prince of Wales Stakes win. I, I think that... Um, uh, the, the man who's given his name to the Nick Luck daily, uh, was, uh, is apt to ask the question, you know, was was she workmanlike or impressive? And I think she was workmanlike. But I think there'll be a step forward from that half-length uh, defeat of Aldaria. Um, I, I don't pass over Adair lightly, although that he was the least fancied of the Charlie Appleby three at Epsom. He won the race by four and a half lengths and Hurricane Lane in third you know has to use that cliche upheld the form although I think that when we're dealing with improving three-year-old Colts at this point in the year um one shouldn't get necessarily too carried away with that but you know he was a worthy winner on the day Lone Eagle was just run out of it by Hurricane Lane uh, in the Irish Derby he's a really interesting runner I think I was a little bit underwhelmed by Mishriff last time. I thought his finishing effort was a bit weak at Sandown after uh, what he had done in Riyadh. And at uh, Maidan, the rain needs to come for wonderful tonight because she's shown her form on softer ground. But um, Sheen Murphy, I think he's, as he had seven winners in the last couple of days and... He has something of a Midas touch. And if you look at the BBC website or indeed any other website for the weather tomorrow, there is heavy rain forecast for Ascot. Wonderful tonight, beat Broom in the Hardwick at Royal Ascot. And I think we'll do so again. So that's that's my summary. I, I, I think that Love is very much the one to beat. Uh, she does have to give the weight to Adear, as you would expect. She's a four-year-old filly. He's a three-year-old Colt. So he gets eight pounds. He'll prove up to the job.
1: Well, to help us solve the puzzle that is the King George on Saturday at Ascot is Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries James Willoughby to talk about the TRC Global Horse Rankings. Before, James, we come to the six runners in the King George and their relative rankings. Some news off the back of last week. As predicted by your good self, Hurricane Lane has indeed forced himself into the top 10, moves up 30 spots from 38th to 8th and Snowfall moves 78 places into the top 10. She is at 10.
4: Yeah, very important principle here, Tom, at work, which is that when a horse has put up one big performance, it's possible that was a function of pace or conditions or just everything being right on the day. Two big performances statistically, according to computation, is massively significant for a racehorse, and both Snowfall and Hurricane Lane confirmed their very impressive prior wins with another one and that means then the system which is based on strict mathematical principles no human involvement at all the system takes them very very seriously and says well i give up they have to be very good horses these two and hurricane lane as you said now number eight and snowfall number ten
1: And we also had another mover just outside the top 10 who runs on Saturday. That is Wonderful Tonight, who has moved from 13th to 12th. And that really puts her ratings-wise in the middle of the King George six. So they are Love at 6, Mishrif, who is at 8, Wonderful Tonight now at 12, Broom at 18, and then Get the Violin Out, James, for the poor three-year-old's the Derby winner, all the way down there at 70, and Lone Eagle, just second in the Irish Derby at 71. What have these
4: poor three-year-olds got to do, James? Well, I've given you the, uh, the tee-up already. One big performance from each of those two horses, another one in this race, and there'll be very, very serious contenders in the top 15 or so. But Adeyar's form, from a computational perspective, seemed to be at a lower level, and then he stepped up massively in the Derby. So we need to see him confirm that figure for in world ranking terms for, that, for him to be taken very seriously.
1: What can the rankings as they are tell us about who is likely to win? How, how do we equate chance based upon the, the rankings and the relative position of these three-year-olds against their older horses? If anything, James, can it help us? It
4: definitely can. That's exactly the way the mathematics works. So just to remind listeners, this is a massive network of ratings, a bit like uh, connections between horses established by previous meetings between them, a bit like you could think of like a social network. And what the computer is trying to figure out mathematically is what are the strongest links between horses, which are the horses which dominate all the other interconnection uh, of uh, relationships established by form. And so what the computer does this is machine learning is to as time goes on it tries to figure out what the correct hierarchy is and so it's trying to put better horses above lesser horses to minimize the number of ranking violations when lower rated horses get beaten by uh, lower rated horses beat higher rated horses so here in the king george 6 8 12 18 70 and 71 the rankings that is to all the computer knows of the results of previous races that is the computer's best guess about the hierarchy so that would be the computer's predicted finishing order based just on the distances between horses in their previous races and the quality of those performances.
1: And James, my final question, just looking ahead to next week, uh, you'll be speaking to Nick next Friday off the back of not seeing Palace Pierce, sadly, out of the the Qatar Sussex Stakes. Now he's number one.
4: Can his stock fall in any way by not running? Right. Each week horses go down... A little bit, uh, according to how distant their best efforts are. And as time goes on, we have, of course, less confidence that a, a, um, a performance will be repeated. So it does behove a horse to come out and win and show its well-being according to the rankings. To stress once again, what these rankings show, and you can go onto thoroughbredracing.com and you can see the top 2,000 horses in the world, all their form, all their performances at a couple of clicks, which you can't do on any other site. You'll see how consistent the computer makes most of these horses around the world, and you'll see how the the form and ratings is is just an artifact of computation. That although people find that ratings are mysterious numbers that handicappers come up with, in fact they're not because TRC Global Rankings works on very simple principles. The mathematics, though very powerful, is quite condensed, quite and it shows that if it's applied equally to all races around the world, you get this hierarchy which predicts future performance as, as best it can. And so if you, if you get, have a look at the top 10, look at their relationships on the race course, you'll get a good feeling for how it all works. And that's why a race like the King George is very, very definitional, Tom. James,
1: as ever, thank you very much. Thank you. Right, time to welcome along Jamie Hart, who is the Racing Director at the Tote, to talk about the Tote World Pool ahead of Ascot's King George meeting. First of all, Jamie, we can reflect upon the season so far. Has it been as successful as you were all hoping?
5: Yeah, well, it's been fantastic. We've um, started off with having World Pools a couple of years ago for the Royal Meeting at Ascot, and this year they've really expanded. It's something that was kicked off... Uh, a brainchild of Hong Kong and Ascot, and just bringing all the totes of the world together to have these really big pools on the big days, and again, quite and using the most of that globalisation of betting, and especially around these big Group One meetings. And we've had the 2,000 guineas, the the Derby Day, Coral Eclipse Day, and uh, and then we're back to Ascot for the King George tomorrow. So yeah, really looking forward to it. I think it generates, you know, between six reportedly between £600,000 and £800,000 per meeting for for the race courses that hold a meeting on Whirlpool just because of the commission that they get, the, the extra kind of media rights and streaming as well as the betting commission. So mm. at a time when the race courses have really been under pressure because of the restriction on numbers through the, through the doors, it's been a real fillet for those race to maintain prize money on the back
1: of it. Looking ahead to, to Saturday, Jamie. I mean, what are the are of most interest betting wise in the in the world pool? You've you've obviously got a, a slightly small field, but but Group One race in the form of the the King George. But you've also got a, a handicap like the International, which is a, a nice big field. Oh yeah,
5: exactly. I think with the uh, because you're you're running on Hong Kong rules here because it's a Hong Kong hosted pool because they they're the biggest pool in there. We all feed into it. You have slightly different rules. So when you get less than seven runners, it means they don't run. What they call the Guinella Place, we we call it the Swinger, but that's actually their biggest their biggest pool, and that's picking two to come in the first three. So when they get below seven runners, the two six runner races we've got that pool won't be active, which is about half of their turnover on a race, and so we'll be missing that, which is a bit a bit of a letdown. But obviously, the King George has a uh, as a recent um, record of being quite, you know, not being the biggest fields, but yeah. there'll certainly be a really strong market on the win and the and the and the Quinellas across across the King George. We're all looking for that big clash between between the uh, the generations with Love and Adyar coming together. I think we're all looking forward to that. If there's an upset there, it could pay big outside that. I think the, the race that really, from a punting point of view, the purists will be interested in the King George, but the punting um, will really peak around the the big seven furlong handicap, the International. But 22 runners there, and of course with a with a tote pool, with any kind of pool, the takeout rate is fixed. So the bigger the number of runners, the more competitive it gets, and with all of the kind of benefits of betting directly with the tote, we'll be betting to about 106 percent on that race. So. If you're looking across um, the different bookmakers, as as well as the Tote in the World Pool, then keep an eye on that one, because there'll be some massive value with us betting to around 106% in that race. And are there
1: any markets that perhaps, you know, your your average um, individual from the UK might not originally look for, that they can take an advantage of value-wise with the World Pool? Well, definitely.
5: I think the big one is the swinger. Now it's it's very it's big in places like South Africa and particularly in Hong Kong. And this is where it's a bit like an each-way forecast because you pick two two horses, but they just both have to come in the first three. Now, whenever the 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 market runs and it will be running on all of the races with more than six runners, um, you you just you pick two two horses if they come first and third, second and third first and second, you get paid out, it doesn't matter what order they come. So if you if you, if you fancy two to, to be involved in the finish, there'll be a million pounds in each of those pools, and there can be some quite freaky dividends. If you're coming from a UK point of view, if you think most of them, because most people in the UK haven't really heard of the swinger, that's a market where you'll be playing directly against overseas punters. Who tend to bet the the Ryan Moores yeah. and the kind of the, the the Holly Doyle's actually? She's she's got a lot of coverage over in Hong Kong. So if you, if you're picking out some some jockeys and some trainers that you think might not be so so well known on a global scale. There could be some real value in there. I think I, if you're playing for the first time, look around the Swinger because that will be where you can
1: unearth some big values. Jamie, great stuff. Very interesting too. Thanks ever so much, and um, hope Saturday goes really well. Dave, I read a, a very brave article yesterday by the Sun's horse racing reporter Jack Keane, who has come out and admitted his struggle with a gambling addiction. What did you make of what he said?
0: I thought it was a very courageous piece. I thought it was quite uh, a raw and frank piece. And I was very impressed by it. Um, you and I have worked in the, the racing media for quite a while, Tom, and let's be honest about this. We've come across quite a lot of people uh, in our own profession and in the horse racing uh, community that, on the sly, we would say they gamble too much. That person's gambling is out of control. But, of course, um, those things are very rarely said in public. And so I thought for uh, for Jack to write that piece and and... I urge everybody listening to to go and find it because it goes back quite a few years. It goes back to Jack's student days when uh, he was gambling and not going to lectures. That's something I can relate to really well. Let me let me assure you, and um, I, I think that what when you read it, you will or many people will see a real relevance in it because many of us have, have flown very close to the sun in terms of uh, gambling in our lives we've we've all chased we've all ended up putting more on a horse than than we intended to or we we haven't we haven't um balanced our liabilities and so and as as well as knowing people that we think well that person's gambling is not under control we've also seen people who have lost an awful lot who have lost houses uh, through gambling, so it's very relevant. It's it's well worth reading. I would urge everyone to read it, and I think for you know for a, a a relatively young reporter who obviously you know none of us wants to really point to a weakness and say right, I think I'm in trouble. I think it was a, it was a a very courageous thing to do.
1: Also, yesterday um, Nick was made aware on this podcast that leading Breeze-Up consigner Johnny Hassett is undergoing life-saving treatment for cancer in Germany. Johnny uh, clearly a a hugely popular member of the the racing community. Uh, Friends and colleagues are raising money to pay for his treatment. They're over halfway to the 250,000 euro goal but much more is needed and you can Read about it on the the Racing Post as an article late last night about it. But if you just search GoFundMe Johnny Hassett T. you can get straight to that GoFundMe page and and help fund that life saving treatment for the hugely popular Breeze Up consigner Johnny Hassett. And we at the Nick Luck Daily sincerely wish Johnny all the very best, Dave thank you very much you can leave us with a tip please if you don't mind for today friday the 23rd
0: indeed well i'm going to new markets meeting this evening tom and in the 752 race uh number one model actress uh, a filly uh, philly trained by richard hannon handicapped debut tonight and I think that it's likely rain softened ground uh, worked against model actress last time. I hope that it'll be a decent surface there. I think it probably will be if the rains hold off an offer mark of 72. I think model actress can make it fourth time. Lucky 752 race at Newmarket. The selection is number one model actress. Dave, thank you very much. Thanks to everyone at
1: home for listening. This is officially the last one of the week, but there will be a special podcast tomorrow. All the interviews that relate to the King George and the action on Saturday from Ask. It will be in a special edition. That will be up tomorrow for you to listen to. And the regular Nick Luck Daily will be back on Monday with Nick. Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares,